0: Welcome, everyone, to our recap. This is another uh, great episode of BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Rudy Armin, with, of course, with my two cohorts, Thomas the Wizard Watts, our producer extraordinaire and analyst in Mobile, Alabama, and, of course, from 89 to 93, William Redfish Barger, a national champion for the University of Alabama. And we are here this Sunday evening to recap Alabama's domination of the Miami Hurricanes. 44-13. Forty-four to thirteen, it was uh, more of the same from nineteen ninety-three, even though it was a little bit different now. The passing game and Bryce Young lead the way for Alabama as they dominate the Miami Hurricanes. You know, they build a twenty-seven to nothing lead in this game uh, and cruise to a forty-four to thirteen win in Atlanta and Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was about what I kind of figured it would be because I, I was of the opinion that Miami was a little bit overrated. Uh, Was being overhyped and they did not want any of this smoke. They tried to say they did on their social media, but it did not go well. And Bubba Bolden, who had been a little chirpy, he didn't last a full half with a targeting call. Now, the quotes attributed to De'Erik King, I don't think were legit. I think that was a parody Twitter account. So everybody was jumping all over De'Erik. I don't think he guaranteed any kind of win. I think, you know, I don't think he was 100% healthy. I, I uh, give the young man credit for going out there and playing, but he was under pressure from an unbelievable Alabama defense that uh, played exceptionally well in their first chapter. Only, the only negative in this game was losing Chris Allen, looks like, for the season with a significant uh, foot injury. I'm hearing a broken foot. Hate that. He's missed a year before with an ACL. It will be interesting to see if he, can, if he comes back next year because he has a COVID year. Uh, but very interesting for Chris Allen because uh, he had a strip sack, a huge impact play in the game, and then goes out, and you hate to see that. But the depth we've been talking about here on Bam's Radio, an outside linebacker showed up, six tackles, third on the team for Drew Sanders, including blowing up the fourth down in one play, and of course, uh, you know others now will be given opportunities like Chris Braswell and Nick Saban. In post game, specifically mentioned Dallas Turner. But I'm going to bring in my cohorts, uh, William Barger for up first. William, uh, this was you had predicted very closely to what I did with this score. We nobody, I don't think, was surprised by this outcome that we watched on Saturday afternoon. No, and and uh, you know, I go ahead and throw out
1: my players of the game, and there's you know one on each side of the ball that you know I think is a no-brainer, and then I'm sure people have differing opinions for the second-tier guys. But, you know, obviously Bryce Young and um, Will Anderson were the top two guys on offense and defense. But on that next tier down on offense, I thought uh, Jamison Williamson deserved a game ball, as did Cameron Law, too. I don't think anybody was expecting him to factor in the way that he did with a healthy – or I shouldn't say healthy, but uh, out of the doghouse, Jamel Billingsley or not. And, uh, and then on defense, I, I thought that the, the next two guys that, that impressed me the most and, and both versus the run and being disruptive and, and you know, causing havoc was Fidarian Mathis and Drew Sanders. I thought when you, you know, consider him coming off the bench cold and you know, having to finish his first game out in the manner that he did, I thought he responded very well. And as a side note to that, I, I don't know if he's a guy that you want out there in the base um you know playing outside linebacker but I think in a rabbit pass rushing situation I think it's it's time that you know Chris Braswell gets a look out there well I was very impressed and he's got to kind of take that step from this year to next year much like uh Anderson did last year I mean he's great if he can beat you off the snap but he's going to have to learn to spin back inside and get a little bit more tools in, in that pass rushing uh, toolbox. But as far as that initial burst and be able to bend and run around an offensive tackle, he's
0: already there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm anxious to see him as well. William, that loss is significant. We know how well Allen played last year, and he was, uh, of course, coming off of a, a knee injury uh, earlier in his career. Uh, now he'll likely, as we said, be lost for the season. But as, we, uh, as you pointed out, this is a, 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 a position of great depth at the University of Alabama, probably the deepest on the football team. I, I, and, and it's ironic because there was one scrimmage where Allen was a little nicked up, and so uh, he did not see action, and I didn't see any drop-off in the defense. I thought defensively they were still very, very good and locked in yesterday, even without Allen, the rest of the contest. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and and there again, I certainly don't want to lose him, and I'm glad it was not serious. But I didn't see much of a drop off when Jalen Moody came in and filled in for a, you know, a, a hurt Henry T. I mean, yeah, uh, he was great point. Round the ball, got an interception. Um, you know, certainly the deeper you can keep a position group, the the better chances you have of going places in the postseason. But I, I think there's a lot of places. Um, on all three levels of this defense where you've got that kind of depth. Um, And certainly I don't want it to be a, you know, another one of these deals where we lose a starter, you know, in every month of the season. But um, I I was very impressed with what I saw from the defense. I think, um, you know, once Alabama got up by, you know, 40 points and you saw some Miami be able to create some big plays. There again, I was very impressed with the way the defense responded and getting that a goal line stand—that's um, always a you know a great way to end it the first game of the season. But you know, all in all, man, I think when you factor in that, um, and I think this is just ridiculous. I mean, I think it's ridiculous to have, um, you know, odds on the preseason Heisman favorite before uh, you know the the season even kicks off. Uh, you saw uh, you know Spencer Rattler go into the gutter yesterday, and now all of a sudden. Um, You've got a guy that's just made one collegiate start and Bryce Young being the favorite for the Heisman. I mean, they really ought to wait um, maybe halfway into October like they do for the the playoff poll Um, and, and, you know, just give these kids a little bit of a breather. But I get it. You know, people want information, social media. Um, But, you know, I I thought I was a little disappointed that I didn't get to see any more of my man JoJo Earl yesterday, but. In, in, his two t- in his two touches, I-, I think more so as a punt returner versus as a wide receiver. Um, but, I mean, I think if you just go across the, you know, the, the offense and the defense position by position, um, it was a very good opening game. Um, you know, I-, I think that, you know, you did see some, you know, some QB pressure that Miami's, you know, front, front seven was able to apply Uh, more so in blitz situations versus out of their base, you know, pass rush in front. Um, That's to be expected when you've got a patchwork offensive line starting together for their first, uh, you know, their first game. And I thought that was probably the only area, um, you know, when you consider what Miami's defense is, you know, it's a get up the field, um, you know, create create havoc front. Uh, I think that was the one area where I thought, you know, they might be able to, you know, cause a few problems because they've got some good edge guys, but but all in all, um, you know, when you factor in everything, I thought it was a well, probably one of the cleaner, um, you know, opening game performances I've seen out of a
0: Nick Saban coach team. Yeah, and I thought Henry Toa Toa looked like he'd been at Alabama for two years, William. I mean, it was pretty surreal to watch him play in the middle. I love the way he communicates. Because he's, and I know you played with a guy like John Sullins and people like that who are really good mics, but I thought that he really looked like he had command of the defense. He was lining people up, he was sideline to sideline. I mean, the slight elbow injury, which allowed Moody to play again, we saw no drop off. Moody got an INT, but I thought that it was a hustle play. He was trying to get a guy out, out of bounds, didn't want those, didn't want them to score. He was in the middle of the fourth down play as well. I just feel like he he looks like he fits into this defense. Seven tackles, second to Will Anderson. A really good debut for Toa Toa. Yeah, and I think the first two things that you mentioned, you know, as far
1: as, you know, being a leader, being a communicator, getting everybody lined up right, that, that was kind of already a given in my book. Um, what, what I was pleased to see was the latter part of what you brought up, the sideline-to-sideline side action, um, you know, the aggression, um, what it's allowed, you know, and freed up Christian Harris to do. You know, he yes. was flowing flowing a lot better than we thought we've seen him do in the past and and, and making plays. Um, you know the there was a lot of rotation there on along the defensive line. Um, in fact, I almost had to grab my uh, uh, program to see who in the hell number ninety four was. I couldn't believe how slim down and streamlined DJ Dale's gotten. Um, so it's just a lot of positives mean like you said the the injury to allen um you know is unfortunate and you hate it for the kid um i I'll be interested to see what he decides to do um as far as his future as far as you know coming back and I don't know if he'd want to go in the same draft as his teammate on the other side of the line of scrimmage or the other end of the the line of scrimmage from him you you see the you know, the hype that they were giving Will Anderson last night. I mean, he's going to be a top-five draft pick, might even have a chance to be number one overall. Um, But there again, I I was just – I wasn't shocked by what I saw from a statistical standpoint from Bryce Young. Um, I thought he looked exactly like that in the A-Day game. Um, But, you you know, the the defense, you know, he he created a bunch of yards, completed a bunch of passes – but you didn't see the points. Um, but you know, getting the, putting the ball in a position where these Alabama wide receivers, um, and granted this isn't what it's been the last two years, but it's certainly not going to be the nosedive off of a cliff on the Pacific ocean. Like people predicted, um, there again, um, I think maybe Jamison Williamson is, is a better transfer pickup than I gave him credit for man. He looked good out there yesterday. And, uh, you know, you got to see a little bit, you know, maybe the, um, the, the, the preface and maybe the index of, of, of Bill O'Brien's offense. Um, I thought he did some nifty and creative things. You, I think you saw that um, maybe unlike Steve Sarkeesian last year, I think they felt like they could kind of play this thing a little bit close to the vest. You didn't see the number of shots downfield. Attempted like you would from a Sark or a Kiffin called offense. But, you know, you, you play to what your strengths are. Um, and, and I don't think they had really had to do that kind of stuff to get this kind of end result out of that Miami defense. So I, I liked what I saw. Um, you, know, you got four or five different running backs. It was great to see Trey Sanders, um, you know, kind of close the casket on his demons. I, I think it's safe to say that he's all the way back and then some. Um, you know, Jace McClellan, uh, Roydell Williams. I mean, they're just loaded back there um, with a the deep running back room. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was a – I mean, I, I sat on the couch yesterday from 2 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> until 11 o'clock last night when I knew that uh, Yaya wasn't going to make a comeback on UCLA.
0: <laughs> well, William, before I bring in Thomas, I wanted one more thought from you because you kind of brought it up and – I was sitting with a good friend, uh, Brandon Pilcher, at the game. Uh, in, uh, you know, uh, I was not in the press box. I was a fan this time. Uh, I know Thomas was there as well, had, had an outstanding seat in the dome. But he, he made this comment early in the game, and really it was like that the rest of the football game. And uh, he seemed to be in the middle of just all the chaos defensively. And here, when there is chaos, that's a good thing. And we talked about how he was the most improved player on the team last year. But Federian Mathis looked even better in game one. Uh, Brandon made the point that he didn't think that Miami could block him with two guys. He was completely dominant up front yesterday.
1: No, absolutely. and And I think you saw um, there in the in the month of, yeah, you know, I, I would say from probably the Iron Bowl through the national championship game, I thought the way he flashed consistently in the latter part of last season. Um, kind of almost mimics the way that Christian Barmore did uh, there towards the end of 2019. And uh, I, I was curious just to see if it would translate over. Now, certainly uh, that's not the best interior offensive line he's going to see all year long, but um, he treated them like they were that way. So uh, I, I think that's uh, you know a guy, this is his money year, and uh, you know, he's got a lot of motivation. And I think he's kind of evolved into a – you know, a vocal and, and, you know, lead by an example, Um, you know, guy that's going to probably push for being a team captain maybe on this year when it's all said and done. So, um, love seeing that. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of those younger guys that that are going to come in and spell him. uh, Don't want to see a lot of Fidarian Mathis the next two weeks. Want to see some of the young pups um, you as they get tuned up for Florida.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to bring Thomas Watts in, uh, you know, uh, Thomas, y- your thoughts, uh, you know, on what you saw. I know you have been critical of Pete Golding, as have I. But that defense looked really locked in. Uh, your thoughts on what we saw defensively, and and uh, potentially, you know, this what in your mind this
2: loss of Chris Allen could mean. So to touch on the Chris Allen point, it's unfortunate. It's terrible. I hate it for the young man. But as you said, there's so much depth at that position. You know, are you going to get Chris Allen production from Drew Sanders? I think that's a stretch. I don't think that's a fair expectation. But to, uh, to borrow what Fish said, it's not like the Alabama offensive uh, outside linebacker group, excuse me, is going to swan dive off a cliff into the Pacific. So it's more sad for the young man as opposed to crippling for the football team. But – in terms of the overall performance, I think the idea that I'm trying to still figure out in my head is context. So you look at every game that we had through the first week, and, and you, you can include the UCLA-LSU game, because even, even though UCLA has played two games, and you keep looking for uh, – for me, I look for context. I think in a vacuum – Alabama's win over Miami was the most impressive win given how it went. I mean, the, first, the game was over by you know 10 minutes left in the second quarter, essentially. It was one of the most brutal first-half beatings you will ever see. Now, is Miami overrated? I don't know. I think they have a shot to go undefeated and make the ACC championship after this. I think they're going to drop a game or two in there. But, you know, I think it's it's not like they're going to go to a 3-9 and nine season. Uh, that, that's not on the table at all. So I think the context of how good Alabama is versus how bad Miami is is an incomplete storyline. And I think you can apply that to other games that we saw as well this weekend. Now, having said all of that, you start nitpicking this Alabama Crimson Tide performance. And, again, to me you have about 20 to 25 minutes of high-intensity game time to pull stuff from. And in that 20 to 25 minutes, Alabama was unbelievable. And the reason I don't put as much stock into the second half is you literally have to make a statement like, Well, when Alabama's up by 31 points, they let Miami drive down the field. Now, yes, Miami did find some offensive success in the second half. But if the absolute worst thing you have to say about this Crimson Tide performance has to begin with when they were 31 points up, that's about all you can ask for. In a similar thing with Bryce Young if you want to see stuff get cleaned up and I'm doing and I'm doing that in air quotes he does need to get a little bit better against the blitz just statistically but when we say better against the blitz realize that he still completed i believe 58 or 60% of his passes against the blitz it just wasn't through the roof in the high 80s when he wasn't pressured so to me I want to see more context. We'll get that over the next couple of weeks so we can really get an idea of how good Alabama's performance was as Miami goes down their schedule. But if you ignore all of that and just put it into a vacuum, I think you can say with some confidence, given the fact that, again, the other big game, Clemson-Georgia, was who can you know beat the hell out of each other and do nothing offensively When you compare those two things, you have to say Alabama is the clear-cut number one team through one week of game action, Drew.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, But I will say, Thomas, and uh, you can comment on this, I thought Bryce was really good against the pressure. Uh, He probably could have taken off running two or three more times. uh, But he's a a passer first. And like, yeah, as William just said, he could have taken off. But he's looking to throw the ball. He kept his eyes up. You know, he, he probably, there's a one or two that he probably should have taken off instead of throwing. One was almost intercepted in the end zone. But the receivers are also going to have to learn. They're going to have to break off routes. They have to also keep, go, you know, don't ever give up on a route either because Bryce will get the ball off. And he, And I thought it was good that he took some hits. People were concerned about his durability, uh, but he was able to take some hits and bounce back. and uh, And I really think overall, and I'll let both you guys comment on this, Thomas, first. But I think his elusiveness and ability to get away, especially, and we'll piggyback off this, William, you can comment on the offensive line. But this offensive line has to gel. We saw Darian Dalcourt, Chris Owens, and we also saw J.C. Latham in, uh, at right tackle in there for Owens some. But it's, it was an offensive line that was not – we never saw these guys, this particular group in scrimmages, you know, take snaps. At least that's not what we heard. And so that this was not a lineup that was, I think, got a lot of reps during either scrimmage. And so it's going to be a work in progress. And Bryce's mobility is going to really help in this situation.
2: Well, let me jump in real quick on the, the blitz thing with Bryce Young. You're absolutely right. You are nitpicking. You are not saying that the way to beat Alabama is to pound the hell out of the A-gap for 60 minutes with five and six rushers. That's, it, that's not going to get it done. That's, to me, you're, that, that's not realistic at all. It's just that's the one point if you want to say, well, maybe Bryce Young really needs to work on this in film study this week. That, to me, is what you need to look at. Now, having said all of that, I actually disagree in that he should take off running more I do think he, the, the timer in his head needs, to, needs a little bit of work. But part of Bryce Young's game is make the defense commit to him. So he breaks contain and rushes to – runs to one side of the field. You know, pick your side. I don't care. And what he did, particularly on that first touchdown pass, go back and watch it, he did not throw the ball until the guy in the zone – committed to try and stopping him from running, stopping him from running, and that, was, that resulted in a touchdown. Now, should a defense decide to play Alabama man-to-man, you know, constant man-to-man, like essentially think about what LSU under Dave Aranda did. Our guys are good enough to check you one-on-one with a safety over the top, turn your backs, chase your guys. Well, if Bryce Young's going to almost certainly be able to read that pretty quickly – and that is a case where he'd want to take off. But I don't know if that's the case every time. In fact, I thought how he played it was better. But again, we are absolutely nitpicking. But go ahead, William. Well, I, I
1: was just going to say, if this becomes a recurring theme after the, the two years in a row that I had to pay, listen to people bitch about Jalen Hurts take off and run at the drop of a hat, then I'm, I'm going to go get my old Keith McCants BB gun and start, start shooting Alabama fans. Um I you know, it's funny because I, I, I thought there was a couple of times yesterday where um and I do agree that's probably the best part of his game in the pocket, especially when the pocket starts to break down, is is being able to sidestep, being able to move forward, may, be, being able to bounce back. You know, you referenced the, the the first touchdown pass where he you know, once the guy in the zone started to come up to take him, he floated over his head. Um but, you know, the, the first time he decided to take off and run, I mean, you know, he, he, I think he ran 15 yards to pick up the first down. Um, so, like I think Thomas put it best, this is just going to be part of his progression um, where that clock in his head, you know, gets a little bit more fine-tuned and, and uh, um, you know, then that will just happen with reps and time. But, I, I mean, I think if you factor in who he was yesterday, first start, you know – big game in a, in a, you know, neutral site venue, and I, I don't know what he could have done better yesterday to, to you know, play, please Alabama fans. I thought for a first start on the road, um, I, I thought it was lights out. And, uh, you know, as far as the offensive line is concerned, uh, the only issues that I really saw took place from the center to the right tackle. I don't ever remember, you know, throwing my freaking plastic cup at co or Neal. Um, and I didn't really throw it on the right side very much. It's just – and there again, I mean, a lot of that stuff, um, you give Manny Diaz some credit. You know, that's where a lot of the blitzes came from. So the pass pro, you know, needs to be cleaned up. Um, but but all in all, for a season opener, in, in, every, in all three phases of the game, man, I mean, Reichert didn't miss, uh, didn't miss a field goal or an extra point. You know, the punter was decent. Um, you know, I'd love to have seen JoJo Earl uh, return some of those punts. But uh, I was very pleased with
0: everything that I saw. Yeah, I mean, there was no doubt. I thought they played very well. And I was a little bit surprised we didn't see JoJo at punt return. But I think that could happen later. Slade was, you know, solid. But he didn't make any big plays. And I agree with you, William. I think JoJo's role offense, I want to see more of him. I think he's going to have more reps. We really saw the top six receivers that we said we were going to see mostly. Didn't see any really of Ty Jones-Bell. We did see a catch from a Jai Hall in number 84. There were some people getting confused. They'd forgotten. He's not 17. He's 84. He caught one from Paul Tyson uh, to move the sticks. But, uh, you know, I I thought overall, when you look at the six guys, Jameson Williams, great impact, four for 126, the 94-yard touchdown. As Williams said, he looked unbelievable in the offense uh betty was really good i think 76 yards uh receiving there and uh, showed some toughness again being very physical uh and then we saw javon baker catch a couple holden had a drop but he bounced back a little bit and then we like we said Slade and jojo did their job so we'll see that continue to develop over time latu is really is developing into an outstanding tight end want to see more of billingsley but he's gonna that's up to him he's got to continue to to dig his way out, but they've got a lot of weapons in this offense. We saw all four running backs, and I thought we would get time. I hated to see Roy Dell fumble. He he met, he met the wrath of Coach Saban, but he got in later in the game and did a nice job. But, William, I wanted to really get your comments on this. What a remarkable recovery. Trey Sanders looked unbelievable. I'm going to be anxious to see him have a bigger role going forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, anytime you, you know,
1: I would equate this to, you know, the NFL quarterback, Alex Smith, Um, you know, most people thought he was probably, you know, never going to play again. And if he did, he would never be the same. And, uh, you know, unbelievable job by the Alabama strength and conditioning staff and the, and the training staff, the team doctors, um, you know, to get that young man back to where he is and, you know, carving himself out a role on this 2021 team. Um, and, and you know, technically though, Drew, I mean, it's kind of hard to get upset with Roy Dell. Yes, he did put the ball on the ground, but he recovered it in the, in the, yeah, you know, the same place. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it took the it took the damn replay booth to tell the on the field <laughs> officials that. I didn't, from my viewpoint on the television, it wasn't it wasn't ever in question. But um, you know, another guy, uh, you know, Anthony Jennings, you know, uh, three or four years ago, you know, there was talk they were going to have to amputate his leg. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this, this, this is a, you know, this isn't that seventies and the eighties in Tuscaloosa anymore. They've got the best of the best down there helping these guys, you know, not only recover from practice, but uh, rehabilitate injuries in the, in the safest and fastest manner possible. So, you know, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of this, I think Jalen Waddle last year, even though he was limping in the national championship game, that was a head scratcher. So, uh, but yeah, I was. I mean, it was just. Uh, and again, um, you know, for all those people out there that think that you know Jaleel Billingsley has is, is ruined his career and his time in Tuscaloosa is over with, you know, that that was a great teaching moment that you saw on the sideline yesterday. Um, you know, Coach Saban was doing it in a positive, constructive manner, and, and, and Jaleel was listening and intent and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, soaking it all in. So. I, I'm I, like you. I want to see him work his way back, and I'd love to see some sets where him and Latu are on the field at the same time together in the passing game. You could see some nasty RPO work with Bryce and those guys once once everything's back and the everybody's back on the field together.
0: Yeah, no question about it. <laughs> I just thought Trey Sanders looked uh, unbelievable. He had a special burst and really gave Miami a lot of problems. Uh, and I, I thought and I did like the play calling of Bill O'Brien. I thought he did some creative things. And, you know, what we've seen at LSU is that Ogeron has become so centric on the passing game and they've not done a very good job recruiting offensive linemen to the point where they are not very physical and they can't, you know, run the football. Uh, I know they, they all think now that they're going to can Ed O and go get Joe Brady and all this stuff. And Joe Brady will solve the world's problems, but, you still have to be physical, and you still have to be able to run the ball. And Nick Saban has always been committed to that, and he throws the football around as much as anybody now. And that was one thing I was mildly surprised about that they allowed Bryce to throw so much early. But as I've said, this was going to be a different football team. It was going to be a controlled passing game, a more intermediate routes, and then the occasional shot over the top. So that's the kind of it's almost like an extension of the running game, but. I still thought they got enough done there. And for a first game, I thought it was pretty solid. Brian Robinson ran really hard, ran through contact. He was fortunate. He had a fumble early, but it popped right back up in his hands. So you got to protect the football. But certainly, like William said, they've got an embarrassment of riches at running back. We never even saw Kamar Wheaton. Uh, and So he's fifth string right now. So it's going to be really interesting going forward to see how these backs develop. And I was was impressed with their role in the passing game. Once again, we saw Jace McClellan involved quite a bit as a receiver, and he played a lot down the stretch yesterday. So I thought overall, uh, William, that it was a, an outstanding offensive performance. They hit on just about every area, and it, it, they put a lot on film that a, a team like Florida is going to have to deal with because – and, of course, they didn't show everything. They never do. Uh, but I thought when you, when you talk about the vertical part, with Jamison Williams and then attacking with the tight end, attacking with the running backs. Certainly they're going to have to continue to brush up on the protections uh, to help Bryce Young. But I thought overall, I didn't see many weaknesses offensively, William. Well, I want to jump
1: back onto the LSU situation for a minute because, you know, I've got several LSU friends and a couple former players, and and they all seem to – want to go down the same yellow brick road, and and it all points back to Joe Brady. Look, the 2019 LSU team was the equivalent of the 2010 Auburn team. Right. You take Cam Newton off of that team, and you take Joe Burrow off of that 19 LSU team, and that's a three- or a four-loss team. The defense wasn't very good. Offensive line, you've already touched on it. You're seeing the product on the field right now of only signing two or three offensive linemen in a three- and four-year span in a recruiting class. There's a reason Nick Saban takes four or five every year. Um, and, and here again, um, I've, I've been screaming for the rooftops about this guy. They need to do the same thing to Tommy Moffat that Nick Saban did to Scott Cochran. Those type of philosophies in a strength and conditioning program are antiquated and over with. This isn't 2012. Uh, I think we're going to find that out if Kirby Smart doesn't take the – the, the reins off of Todd Monken, and I don't know if JT Daniels is dynamic enough to pull it off or not, even if they do decide to open it up. But, you know, that's, that's been a Kirby's Achilles heel. Uh, to me, w- when he made the decision to cast Justin Fields aside and go with a pro-style game manager, and he's continuing to do that. I mean, JT Daniels has the 40-time of an offensive lineman and not a very strong arm. And when you factor that in with at least availability right now with wide receivers that can, you know, create space and, you know, be game changers, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, what that – granted, they won the game. They've got a fantastic defense. um, But they won that game because uh, Clemson's got the worst offensive line they've had since Dabo started making the playoffs. So it was an interesting day. Um, you say there again uh, everybody overrated Oklahoma Uh, you know you almost get beat by Tulane in the season opener at home Um, so you know it was a great day for college football you know a lot of questions I think um, you know Alabama um, showed the least chinks in the armor of of all the top teams that uh, you know we got to see play and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Ohio State-Oregon matchup next weekend. You know, Oregon almost got clipped by uh, Fresno State yesterday. Um, so, we've just got to continue to turn the page from one week to the next and see how these teams improve from,
0: you know, week one to week two and so on throughout the course of the season. Yeah, we do. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, Thomas, I'll bring you back in. uh uh, it, it, I William made it a point earlier in the program where he said this was probably one of the cleaner openers for Nick Saban. I would agree with that. I thought all three phases. I would give them an A. I think Alabama came out ready to play. Uh, you you've briefly you've brought up some concerns. What are your concerns after uh, watching this game in person in the Mercedes Benz uh, Dome uh, and watching
2: Alabama debut against the Canes? So. My big concern's already been talked about, honestly, Drew, and it's the offensive line. But the thing about the Alabama offensive line is the, I'm an engineer. Is a glass glass half empty, or is a glass half full? No, the glass is twice the size it needs to be. So if you take a glass-half-empty look at the Alabama offensive line, it was pretty obvious there were some communication issues that they, that, they, the team, that, that position group has to come together. And, you know, that's that's going to hold. And if you if you really want to go crazy, Alabama's not going to win a national championship if it doesn't get better. Well, OK, great. But if you look at the glasses half full. OK, that was some struggles. But I thought the run blocking was generally solid when the game was in doubt. Alabama was able to do whatever they wanted to do offensively. The only time Alabama got stopped before they were up four touchdowns was a drop by Treshawn Holden. Otherwise, Alabama did whatever they pleased. They, they, they were successful. That's what I call good offense. The defense, what's crazy to me is, again, I only really care about the first half. Uh, I think you could kind of ding Pete Golding for air quotes not adjusting to Miami because Miami did start pounding quick slants and stuff because they realized that the, their offensive line had nothing for Alabama's pass rush, even when they only brought – either four or five. And I think Will Anderson, one of his – his one sack was on a three-man rush where he just blasted a double team like it wasn't even there. So those are the concerns – again, I'm air-quoting b- behind my microphone that I have. But the thing about the offensive line, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cite everyone's – well, I'm going to use William's favorite example. Everyone went absolutely crazy for that 2011-2012 offensive line, which – is if it's not the best offensive line Nick Saban's had, it's top two or three. Everybody went absolutely crazy in game two when that offensive line gave up six sacks to Western Kentucky. Now, that Western Kentucky team was decent, but it's not exactly going to go win the college football playoff. Well, fast forward to the end of that season, and without DJ Fluker losing his damn mind, in the SEC championship, as Alabama's getting beat by Georgia, Georgia wins that game and wins the national championship because it was the power of that offensive line that just ate Georgia for lunch in that second in that second half of that game. So you see the ingredients. I think there is a concern, but it's not like we haven't been down this road before with, Al- with the Alabama offense, particularly the offensive line. Are you? Am I willing to say that this group is going to go win the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line in football? Well, well no. I'm not willing to go that far and say they're going to be that. But if it's a top, 15, top 10, top 15 unit in run blocking and pass protection, that's all Alabama needs because the other parts, as you said, Drew, are so excellent that the only real steps forward those other units can take are – gelling and more reps for players playing more meaningful roles and that's not a bad spot to be in through one game of the year yeah <laughs> and I wanted to bring uh, and get
0: Williams thoughts on this we saw Kendall Randolph play quite a bit at blocking tight in he was 85 as he usually is when he does that uh, and he was effective he and Latu Tennyson saw time uh, a little bit of time from Jaleel Billingsley with going forward, my gut tells me that they're going to go with Dalcourt at center and Owens at right tackle. Uh, do you, but do you think there's a chance that they could give Owens another shot at right tackle? I would think. I mean, excuse me, uh, Randolph another shot at right tackle. I would think if they do that, it would be for the Mercer game to get him ready for Florida. I don't see them putting him back out at right tackle uh, as they did in the in the spring and uh, in, 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 in the fall in the fall early. Uh, you know, for the Florida game, cold. So do you think maybe the decision's been made to go with Owens at right tackle with his experience and then Dow Court at center? Because that's going to be a pretty, you know, heck. uh, I know Alabama's won there before, but it's still a very tough environment at Florida and the SEC, you know, road opener and opener overall. Bryce Young's first true road start. I would think that they would go with Owens at right tackle, but what are your thoughts? Well, real quick, I was going to go back to what Thomas was talking about. Yeah, I've got absolutely.
1: A, a, a good point. Um, the guy that lost his mind and had a huge impact on that 2012 National Championship game, DJ Fluker, was the same guy that gave up five of those six sacks versus Western Kentucky in week two. <laughs> good, um, point. good point.
0: That, that, yeah. that,
1: that's, that's, that's how big of an improvement you know, a line can make once it gels but think about this, and I can't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago when Alabama struggled to just line up and run the football against Duke in the season opener. And yeah. that unit that unit didn't win the Joe Moore that year, but I think they were one of the three final. I think they've been a they've been a finalist, I think, every year the award's been created. But um go- going back to what you were saying, yeah, I mean I saw and I think it was on uh Sanders' touchdown run, um, y- yes, I think Randolph needs to stay put where he's at. I think that is what can make, you know, those outside zone plays go um, because he is such a – like having an extra offensive tackle. But He's, he's him Michael and Williams. Owens came off.
2: He's Michael Williams. I'm
1: sorry. Beautiful. Perfect. Perfect. Um, you know, they came off on a combo block on that play. And Owens peeled off at the last minute and got his mitts on one of the linebackers and down there broke his back. Um, you know, and, and there again, you know, there were some errant snaps. Am I going to get pissed off at Dalcourt over having some high snaps in his first start? No, none of them resulted in fumbles. Um, I do think they had an impact on the flow and the chemistry of the play. But there again, it's the first game. Uh, but, yeah, I think right now that, that that's the best lineup going forward is to keep everybody where they're at, keep Randolph out there, you know, knocking people off the ball and let's just see how it, you know, things play out from there. They've got two games um, where they can work. You know, I I hope to see the, I hope to see JC Latham um, get more reps at right tackle in the next two weeks than I do Chris Owens, because Chris Owens is a veteran and, you know, has all that experience. Uh, but that, I think they've still got plenty of time to get that chemistry and that cohesiveness and the communication down. Um, and, and you, know, the, 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 that's a, you know, that's kind of a byproduct of a Manny Diaz defense. You know, he's going to put people up there in the gaps and show pre-snap blitzes and create some doubt. And, you know, I, I got the right guy. Um, and, and so you didn't really see a lot of wholesale jailbreaks, in my opinion. Um, I, I thought it was like I said, I thought it was a pretty solid outing. Um, whereas they're gonna have to get ready for, you know, a different kind of cat versus Florida. Those guys are gonna be um, you know, they've got some good edge rushers, but their guys are gonna be a little bit more physical and, you know, stronger at the point of attack than what they saw yesterday. But Miami is a pretty good um, warm-up for the offensive tackles, at least, because they do have some guys that can scream off the edge. Now, they're not Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith, but they're not bad either. Uh, but I, I think the the lineup that you saw or, or you discussed, Drew, is what needs to be, I think, the lineup for the
0: next two weeks at least. Yeah, and that's what we'll see against Mercer. You know, it, it it's we're not we're not even really gonna. I, I I'll I'll give you a score for the Mercer game. I'm gonna pick fifty two to three. I think maybe they might get a field goal on the on the uh, second unit or the third unit. The, the, those guys have got some talent too. It may be tough for the Bears to score on this Alabama team. It's going to be uh, just kind of name your score. I think we'll see two quarters plus out of Bryce and see a lot of Paul Tyson and Jalen Milrow. Milrow did play a little bit yesterday. Uh, but these are the kind of games you're just trying to avoid injuries and clean some things up, uh, you know, before uh, going to Gainesville for the SEC opener at Florida. Should be a big game between two 2 0 teams. So you already know what's going to happen, uh, you know, in this game against Mercer. Alabama is going to win and win impressively. You just want to stay healthy and get Toa Toa uh, to be 100%. We'll see how much action he sees. You know, Brian Branch knocked, you know, kind of dinged himself a little bit, but I think he's going to be fine. Hopefully, DeMarco Helms and LeBron Ray will be back this week. Uh, so we'll see there, uh, certainly. But uh, I think we all know how this game is going to go. But, William, I know you have to go in a few minutes, but before you do, I wanted to pay some special homage uh, to a couple of uh, Alabama Crimson Tide family that we lost this week. You mentioned one of them already who was one of your former teammates, who really, in my mind, uh, you know, he, he was someone that was underrated because of what he had to do in his career, which is fill the shoes and take the torch from first Cornelius Bennett, Biscuit, of course, Derek Thomas, who I still think is the greatest pass rusher in college football history and one of the two or three greatest in NFL history. And then he came along and became an All-American in his own right But I wanted you to talk a little bit about the loss and what kind of player Keith McCants was at the university. And then, of course, your old offensive line coach, Coach Jimmy Fuller. I had a chance and an honor to get to know him uh, while he – while, you know, when I started at 97.7 The Zone, he was a big part of the radio station. Met him in person. What a unique personality he was. And I know you guys had reconnected in the last few years. But I just wanted from someone that played with Keith and then – that was coached by Jimmy Ford to kind of pay homage to these two uh, stalwarts that we lost, uh, you know, tragically this past week.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think probably, and, and thank God, you know, he, he ended up, uh, you know, getting rewarded by, by going so high in the draft, but, you know, I, I think, you know, Keith was probably hindered by playing for at least his last two seasons uh, not one of the better defensive coordinators that have ever worked in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know I, I felt like he was a guy that should have always been out on the edge he He wasn't despite his size, you know he wasn't a very physical guy against the run when they would line him up at inside linebacker. Um, you know, I thought John Sullen should have stayed in for that or or you know Vantrese Davis depending on the season, um and just left Keith on the outside because that's where he did his best work he He, he was great um it's it's weird to talk about somebody that was that physically imposing and and say that he was probably a better player in space you know versus playing inside the box you know between the tackles um but you know man it's just a great guy i mean i i think you know he's one of many that you know went on to the next level had some unfortunate injuries that you know, led to, you know, some opioid problems that led to some other problems once he got through with football and, uh, you know, but a great teammate, a great guy, somebody that I feel blessed to have, uh, you know, gotten to know um, and spend a lot of time with off the field um, and, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that, um, you know, despite his demons, he was a good person and I think he'll be, uh, you know, the world's not a better place because he's gone, that's for
0: sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then, and of course, Coach Fuller. Uh, I know he meant a lot to you. Meant a lot to all his players. Uh, he had a very good relationship with West Neighbors. They were very, very tight, very close. I know, unfortunately, Coach's health had taken a dive in the last several months. Uh, he he had he had Alzheimer's, but then he also uh, developed and ultimately COVID uh, shortened the life of Jimmy Fuller. But he was a guy that had a great career for Coach Bryant as a player. And then as a coach, he was at Alabama under three different sets. I think he was the interim head coach three times. Had a lot of success as the head coach at Jacksonville State. And ended his you know, career in athletics as their athletic director, I think, from 2003 to 2008. But Jimmy Fuller, quite a character, William. Yeah, and, I, you know, I was fortunate that he was my
1: area recruiter um, in, in high school. So, I mean, I got to know him, you know, kind of as a, a non-player um, before I even got to Alabama. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that if you were having a problem um, on the field or off the field, he'd shut the door in his office and he would, you know, do whatever he could to try and help you get through that. Um, you know, I think the best thing that I can, you know, say about Coach is, um, you know, he was a player's coach um you know but the the number one thing and i can say this about all the former um coach bryant players that turned into coaches um or or coaches that that i had the opportunity to work with and and every day it started with one thing and that was toughness um both mentally and physically and you know he would push you um you know and and you know coached you up as, as hard as you possibly could be coached but, but I think the thing that, you know, really made him unique is, you know, back in that era of, of you know, SEC football, it was still a brutal game. Um, you're talking about 35 spring practices, 30 of them in pads. You know, we were in full pads for two straight weeks twice a day, um, you know, until school started. And, uh, you know, it was it was a rough grind. But, um, you know, I really have a, enjoyed, you know, having a chance to – yeah, you know, I never realized this as a 18 to 22 year old, but as an adult, um, you know, I think the, the the best thing about being able to reconnect with him and, you know, talk man to man versus, you know, 18 year old to an, to an adult was, uh, you know, I kind of realized that we kind of had the same personality and and similar similar character traits and, you know, we were able to reconnect as as friends mm-hmm. and uh, long distance telephone buddies. And, you know, he was always, always asked about my parents and, uh, he always put a nice personal touch on things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was, it was tough over the last six months because, um, you know, the the cognitive issues really started to go down quickly. And, um, you know, you, you would, you, you, would hear him on the phone kind of catch himself saying something um, that wasn't accurate or correct, and you could tell that he was struggling to, um, you know, maybe try to overcome that and correct it, and, you know, you'd just be like, you know, hey, coach, it's it's okay, I get it, and uh, so, you know, I think the last time I talked to him was, mm, it was less than 30 days ago, and uh, his wife, Marilyn, was taking him out to dinner, and, you know, I, I, could, I could tell that, you know, the end was near then, he just, you know, wasn't you know wasn't there um you know mentally anymore and uh so you know i hated that he you know that he caught the covid and um but but at the same time i am glad that you know maryland was able to get him out of the hospital and bring him back home um and and hospice was brought in and he was able to uh you know
0: pass peacefully with those that loved him surrounding him Uh, great words from william barger uh someone uh, that played for Jimmy Fuller and knew him very very well we wanted to pay homage to coach and we know he's watching over over us now and I had him on my show and Kenny Stabler his roommate passed away and he had a lot of he you know he was very torn over that as well but he had so many great stories to tell and Jimmy Fuller was uh you know just a a very unique guy and the, the one and only and he did a lot for the University of Alabama and Jacksonville State and for football in the state of Alabama. And we wanted to pay respect to him today uh, on BAM's radio. But we're about to wrap it up here. Alabama will head uh, to the home opener against the Mercer Bears this coming Saturday inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. Again, we expect uh, an, another big win for Alabama. We'll review it on Sunday. Get a chance to see a lot of hopefully a y'all of young players continue to develop and get playing time such as the Dallas Turners. Nick Saban mentioned yesterday about now getting an opportunity with Chris Allen injured also you heard William talk about Chris Braswell there's even a veteran like King you're going to be interested to see some of the combinations that we uh, uh, get a chance to witness on whether you're inside Bryant-Denny Stadium or whether you're watching on television but looking forward to that game with the Mercer Bears in Alabama and we're looking forward to the Crimson Tide continuing this season it was a uh, an opener that I think opened a lot of eyes, literally and figuratively, uh, if you're an Alabama fan. Uh, and I think everybody's excited about the start to the season. You know, you hate the injuries, but it's football, and that's what happens. Uh, but, again, the University of Alabama will be uh, a 3 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network, and we will review Alabama and Mercer as Alabama looks to stay number one in the country uh, and go to 2-0, and o. And one and zero inside Bryant Denny Stadium this next coming Saturday, but we will be back next week to review that and the other goings on in college football. As we, as you know, the SEC had a good opening weekend, except for really the uh, LSU Tigers. That's going to be interesting to watch going forward. And Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt's a lost cause anyway. But certainly, we uh, look forward to reviewing more Alabama football with you. Uh, you know, next week. For William Redfish Barger, for Thomas Watts, I'm your host, Rudy Armin. Good night, everybody, and Roll Tide.